0: Our gospel reading from today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny." It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Grace and peace to you from God and our savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this is my first time ever preaching. And if I've learned anything so far while preparing for this, is that you really should check the lectionary readings before agreeing to preach. (laughs) You see, honestly, I don't like this text at all. Frankly, it's one of the pieces of scripture I really struggle with. Jesus is using some strong language and imagery to display some truly difficult topics to talk about. But as Pastor Keith quoted Mr. Rogers in his sermon last week, Anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. So let's try to talk about it. Let's try to make this passage more manageable together. Today's passage is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, where we see Jesus talking to a crowd of people about how to be trusting disciples who are faithful to God. Jesus presents a series of laws that the hearers of this gospel would have understood to be from the Torah. Laws that address murder, adultery, and swearing oaths, among other things. For example, Jesus says, You have heard it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. It may be tempting to say that Jesus is changing the law. But as Jesus states earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. And if you're like me, after hearing that passage, you might be thinking, wow, how is calling someone a fool so egregious? I probably call my brothers fools at least once a week. (laughs) So, what is Jesus doing here? Some scholars have referred to this section of the Sermon on the Mount as the antithesis. Here, Jesus is following a pattern of reaffirming the law, radicalizing it, and giving an application of the law in a context that the hearers would have understood. Seen in the example I gave previously, Jesus reaffirms the law to the crowd, saying, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. He then radicalizes the law by saying, but I say to you, If you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Finally, he gives an example of when this could apply, such as when you are with your accuser heading to court. It is in this radicalization of the law that Jesus really challenges us. It sounds shocking to us now, but rabbis at the time were engaging in similar conversations regarding the law amongst themselves. Even Martin Luther engaged in similar thinking in his explanation of the Tenth Commandments in the small catechism. For example, in his explanation of the Eighth Commandment, which states, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Luther says, we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. Jesus is not changing the law, but he is certainly taking us to the heart of it. We are, when we are called not to murder, our first thought is probably about physically taking the life of another. And when we are called not to commit adultery, we may also think of this as a physical act. But Jesus is challenging us to go deeper. He helps us to see that when we are angry or annoyed with our neighbor, which is bound to happen, we may harm them by attacking them where we know they are emotionally vulnerable or strive to injure them in other ways. We may damage the reputation of our neighbors through gossip or through the words we uttered to them, or we may do it when we look at them as an object rather than as another human being. And in the absence of information or in the absence of a conversation, we make up stories about a situation or person that can be deeply harmful. We have all experienced this, both as the offender and as the victim of such words and actions. We all know the pain of hearing someone we truly care about say something that is so wounding to us that we feel it in the depths of our soul. And we can all likely recall a time, even if we don't want to, where we were the ones who spoke such sharp words. I confess, I can recall many times when I have said something out of such an intense anger that I fractured my relationship with my father. I am my father's child. When it comes to humor, we are both pretty sarcastic and quite silly. However, we are both stubborn and have a difficulty backing down when we think we are right. Because of this, throughout my teenage years, when I was particularly bullheaded, we frequently fought. And due to our similar personalities and shared family history, I knew exactly what buttons to push to make him upset, and he knew exactly what to say to push mine. I can recall one of these fights being so bad. We didn't talk to each other for weeks after that. And when we did eventually decide to speak to each other, we continued on as if nothing happened, with the wounds still open. As I have been preparing for this sermon and reflecting on my experiences, one question kept coming to mind. When we have come to realize how we have hurt our loved ones, no matter who they are, how do we fix a relationship tarnished by years of conflict? Jesus tells us exactly what to do in this story, and the answer is quite simple. Jesus tells us we need to reconcile with one another. And I say this is so simple, but in truth, we all know it is much harder than it sounds. Even when we know we need to mend our broken relationships and begin to reconcile with one another, where do we start? Maybe we start with how we've been reconciled to God. We are rapidly approaching the season of Lent, the time in the church calendar where we prepare and wait for Easter day in the celebration of Christ's resurrection. We sing songs of praise about death being defeated and God's love breaking through all things. But we often forget that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are reconciled with God. Jesus restored our relationship with God through the cross, and in this act of profound love, we are enabled to mend our relationship with the divine. The death and resurrection of Christ has reconciled us to God and also enables us to reconcile with our neighbors and loved ones. God is present at every moment of repairing a relationship. God reveals to us where we have faltered in a relationship and strengthens our resolve to change. God gives us the humbleness needed to go to the person we have offended and honestly own what we have done. And when we are forgiven, God helps us to start the relationship anew. I should mention that reconciliation is not possible in all cases, especially in cases of violence and abuse. The relationship cannot be restored. The pain inflicted is just too great. But in all cases where reconciliation is truly possible, it should be strived for. It will take a long time to heal, but healing is worth it. It's worth it because it's transformative, When we reconcile with God, we feel the peace of a mended relationship and can boldly proclaim that we are God's beloved. If this can happen in our relationship with the God of the universe, it gives us hope that we can find that peace in our human relationships as well. God inspires us with a willingness to try and fix these broken bonds, and when we can, it's a true blessing. We can feel that sense of peace when it is fixed, and know that we are loved. I fully admit, I don't have all of this worked out yet. While I confessed to you moments ago about my strained relationship with my father, we have only recently begun to repair it. Spending long periods of time contemplating how to say I'm sorry and how to move forward is difficult. But I have hope. I have hope that with God, my father and I can continue to do this work And I have hope that through God, we have the humbleness to ask for forgiveness and that through God, we have the courage to forgive it, to give it. In preparing this this sermon, I felt the need to call my father and talk about this text. During the call, we discussed our relationship in the past and where it needed to be healed. While I still think this text can be difficult to grasp and the language is quite strong, it ultimately started a conversation. It started a conversation that has pushed my father and I towards healing and acknowledging the pain we have caused each other in the past. Maybe all we need to begin to reconcile with our loved ones is a conversation. And we need to trust that God is at work mending things in ways we cannot see reconciling us when we don't know how to do so. Let me leave you with this. In our first reading from Deuteronomy, Moses urges us to choose life. In choosing life, we choose the way of Christ, a way of love, healing, and peace. May we be empowered by the reconciliation of the cross to choose life. With the help and love of God, let us take risks, be humble enough to realize where we have failed, and be brave enough to start a difficult conversation. God will be with us, and Jesus will lead the way. Jesus will lead us to the way of reconciliation. Thanks be to God. Amen.